0: Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. If you would, grab your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning. Romans chapter 10. If you actually don't own a Bible, there's some black Bibles placed around the room. We treasure and value scripture and it is a gift for us to have the bibles that we do and so we want to gift those to you if you do not own a bible we would love for not just every family member here at gcc to have a bible but for the whole world to have a bible in their native language I feel like is is a gift and so if you do not own a bible take one of those bibles it is our gift to you this morning we're continuing a series of Titled The Call. And what we're looking at is this is that many times we understand what a Christian is called from darkness into light, um, but we don't know what a Christian oftentimes is called to. And so we've looked over the past three weeks at this. We've looked at a Christian is called to freedom, that a Christian is called to spiritual maturity. And then last week we looked at that a Christian is called to pray, and this week we are going to look at this that uh, a Christian is called to evangelism. And so With this series, what we wanna make clear and what we want everyone to understand is this, is that we do not believe that Christianity is a make your way to God or get right with God by your works, by your efforts, or by your merits. What we understand is Christianity operates completely different from the other religions of the world and it's not us getting to God, it's God coming to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we don't climb our way up to God through our good works. We understand that we can't do enough good so Christ has come down to save and rescue us. And Christianity, then, is a response to this. And so we don't believe our good works or the things we're called to do merit God's love, but we believe that they have an impact on our relationship with Him and our relationship with one another. So that's why we're going to this series. If you're a new Christian, it'll be a good reminder for you. If you've been walking with Jesus for a long time, it'll be a good reminder for you. And if you are a new Christian, this will be a good way for you to see exactly what Christians are called to, but it'll also be a great opportunity today to see why Christians are called to evangelism, what evangelism is. In a sense, you get to look inside of a Christian's playbook and see exactly what we feel called to do and why we feel called to do it. And so we would say this, that we do feel called to evangelism because there would be nothing more loving than we can do than to give you the greatest love that we know that the earth has in Christ. And so that's why we evangelize. And so I I would ask you guys to do this. I'll be honest and be transparent. It's been a difficult week for me, And I'm tired. I've lacked motivation all week. I've asked people in our community to pray for me. And so uh, the last thing that I want to do is... is, uh Because for so long I thought that the man up in front of the church is the man who had it the most together, and that's just not true. And so uh, the man that's oftentimes in front of the church should be the one that knows the most how far they have fallen from grace and how much they need God's grace. And so I've lacked that. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. While I pray, if you guys could also pray for me, I would greatly appreciate that. And so uh, I'm going to preach. I'm going to preach faithfully to God's word. I'm excited. But, but but just so you know I've given myself permission because of an imperfect man who needs a perfect save to save uh, who needs a perfect savior to admit that I am a man who is limited just like every one of us and so I need grace I need strength and I need the grace and strength of Jesus right now so please pray for me as I pray and open this up so um father I thank you for the opportunity week after week to open your word it is humbling and it is amazing that we get to hear from you and that you've spoken to your creation. I praise you for your love, Father, and the perfect display of your love through sending your Son to rescue us. I pray, Father, that we would not walk away with an understanding ever of Christianity or of the gospel as it being anything other than good news. I pray that it would not be in what's not heard today, is that if we evangelize well, we are good Christians. What I pray that we would understand is your scandalous grace, your love, the price you've paid, the separation that you've reconciled, Jesus, through your life, through your death, and through your resurrection. Speak to us this morning, minister to us. Strengthen me, Lord. I praise you that uh, we don't, uh, um, we're not called to ministry, uh, Father, because we are qualified Right out of the gate, Father, I praise you that you call men and then you qualify men. And Father, I pray you use even the midst of our uh, use us in the midst of our brokenness and in our weaknesses. So use me this morning. I praise you for limitations that remind us that uh, I'm not God and we're not God, but you are, and we need you. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Romans chapter 10, verse 14 is where we're going to be at today. But just to give you a, a a just a picture of what's going on in the book of Romans. Uh, I love the book of Romans. It is a phenomenal book. Even how the book of Romans starts off is just talking about uh, creation and how creation has rebelled against God. And so God has turned creation over to their rebellious ways. They have suppressed the knowledge of God. Um, But what happens is we get to chapter 9 in the book of Romans and Paul is writing and saying that this to his Jewish kinsmen to his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's saying that just being Jewish doesn't make you a child of God. Just being Jewish does not save you. Your ethnicity does not save you. And so you can't just rely upon being Jewish to be right with God. And in fact, he goes on to say in chapter 10, verse 2, he he says, uh, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. So he praises their zeal. But what he goes on to say is that zeal also can't save you. And a zeal for a Uh, for the wrong thing is actually just being a fanatic. And so then he goes on to say in in chapter 10, verse 4, that for Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. And so what he's saying is you also can't be saved by adhering to God's law, by obeying God's law, because we all fall miserably short at that. So Paul is explaining to his Jewish brothers with a passion and with a love That you cannot be saved by being jewish that you cannot be saved by zeal and that you cannot be saved by trying to keep god's commands so then we would go well then what does it take or who is it for and paul goes on to say in chapter 10 verse 12 read there with me for there is no distinction between jew and greek for the same lord is lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved So what does it take? It takes calling upon the Lord. If we read back to verse nine, he actually explains it even more explicitly. He says in verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, meaning declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So Paul is trying to explain what it takes To be a Christian, what it takes to be saved. And he's saying that it's now open for for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, whether you are Jew or Gentile, that what is required is for you to call on the name of the Lord and everyone, he says, who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so it leads us into this topic of evangelism. And here's what I'll say is that most people that I talk to that are Christians admit and say, we're just not that good at evangelism. And that's what I would say, that I'm not that good at evangelism. Most Christians I talk to, most people I talk to have enough honesty to say, I'm just not that good at it. And if someone says I'm really awesome at it, then they probably lack humility in another area. Other people say this, that I do evangelism or I've done evangelism out of guilt. And so I felt that in order for God to love me, that I need to tell as many people as I can about Jesus or else God's going to be really disappointed in me. So listen to authors, even like Jared Wilson, a man who I love and respect, talk about how They used to, uh, uh, they were asked as children, how many people did you share the gospel this week? And so he felt this angst constantly of like, I got to hit my mark. And so what you're doing is you're doing evangelism out of guilt. Guilt is not a good motivator. But I would say this that all Christians are actually called to evangelize. And why that's important is I've sat next to people at coffee shops and I've listened to them talk and they've said their pastor said that you are not called to evangelize, that only certain people that are gifted with that gift are called to do it. I would disagree with that. I believe scripture disagrees with that. In the same way that you might say, well, uh, it looks like serving is a gift. Yes, but all Christians are called to serve. We're called to lay down our lives for one another. So we are all called to do that. I'm afraid that for many of us too, we have viewed evangelism like car sales to just before anyone throws rocks at me. I used to be a car salesman, so I'm not speaking poorly of car salesmen. I'm just saying this is from my own understanding of what we used to have to do. Is that in, when you are selling cars, if you cannot close a deal, then what happens is you go, back to the, you go back to the room. Everyone knows this, right? You're talking to the guy and then all of a sudden you disappear behind some doors and then you keep coming back and you go through this process. You disappear, you come back, you disappear, you go back, and you're like, what's going on behind the closed doors? Here's what's going on. Is, there's a conversation going on about what, what you need to sell a car for, how you need to close the deal. And here's what's also going on, that if you can't close the deal, then we will send in someone else to close the deal for you. And at that point, what happens in car sales, are, in car sales is that you get a split deal. And so what was going to be 100% commission for you is now 50% for you and the closer that they bring in. So if you're talking to someone and, and he's just not really getting the job done, maybe you've experienced this. They bring in the veteran closer and he closes the deal for you. Uh, And so seeing that experience that our problem is, is we sometimes arrive at evangelism with that same perspective. What effective evangelism is, is it's me closing the deal. And so basically it's not good evangelism. If I share, teach, proclaim the gospel, the only effective good evangelism is if I'm ABC, always be closing. If I can't get someone to say the sinner's prayer, if I can't get someone to walk the aisle, if I can't get someone to do it or sign up right then, then I'm not an effective evangelist. I will say this from up front, that I don't know that I have ever shared the gospel with someone or seen or had someone instantly put their faith in Jesus Christ. And a lot of the people that I've shared the gospel with for years are still not Christians. So it could lead me in a spot to where I go, man, I'm just not a good evangelist, if that's how we're going to label evangelism, is just closing the deal. I would say this. Let's define it first. How, how would we define evangelism? I would say this, this simple. Sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Sharing the good news, not showing, but sharing the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That would be a, a working definition we'll go off today. And here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to try and get Scripture to line up with my evangelism practices today. You guys can hold me accountable to that, but I want Scripture to shape the way I practice and live out and do evangelism. I think that's important because I'm passionate about evangelism. Many people are passionate about evangelism. And so what I don't want to do is is give you just methods and models on how to do it and and, and pull things um, from my own passions and try to read those in the text. I want us to look at God's word and see what his word specifically says about it. So let's do that. We arrive at Romans 10, 14. Paul's explaining the gospel is for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. And then he says this in verse 14. He says, how then... Will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Keep reading. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Those, that's the, that is what we are covering today. And if you notice, there's a progression. 12 and 13, he talks about calling. In 14, he says, how will they call of whom they have not believed? How will they believe? If they have not heard, how, how will they hear without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they're sent? So there's this progression that Paul is unpacking here. We'll say this, Paul is starting off with a list of rhetorical questions that I don't believe are intended for us just to play around with. I believe these are things that he's calling the church to and saying, how are these people? How are Gentiles? How, how is all this world supposed to know who Jesus is and call on him? He's not saying call on him like we do whenever a plane gets turbulence. At that point, Everyone on an airplane is like a functional theist, right? As soon as an airplane has turbulence, people yell out, right? Intrinsically, I think that's pretty, pretty interesting that people would say, oh my God, in that moment, calling out to God in a moment of crisis. So he's not saying a moment like that. He's saying, call on God for salvation. How then will they call on him? So call on God for salvation if they have not believed. I would say this. We are all calling people and we are all believing people. We all have things that we call on to give us hope and to give us worth and to give us meaning. We all have things that we believe in to give us hope, to give us purpose, and to give us worth. We call on many things. Our culture here in Eugene calls on many things. We are a college town. People are calling and believing in a college degree to give them ultimate purpose and worth. And so what we're calling on to be our hope and what we're believing in to give us hope is a college degree we believe and call on careers we believe and call on marriages we believe and call on healthier marriages we believe and call on and put our hope and treasure in relationships in getting married we believe and call and put our hope in our kids we believe and put our hope and call on what our emotions tell us to do and i would say if there's a driving theme if you walk around downtown eugene it's just you do you and do what feels best for you. And just go wherever your emotions lead you to go. And so what you're, what's, what's being urged by this culture and by our city and, and what they're calling on for a hope and to believe in is just to let your emotions lead you to, uh, to do whatever it is that you want to do. So at the end of the day, your, your emotions are what you're calling on and believing in to give you hope. He goes on to say this. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Before we get there, I want to say this, that we won't tell people to call on Christ unless we actually believe that Christ is better. Very, very practically. That we are not going to call on people to believe and hope in him unless we actually believe that Jesus Christ is better than everything else this world has to offer. Unless we believe that, that the creator is infinite and he can... Uh, uh, and he can satisfy our infinite cravings that we have, unless we actually believe that God is able to do that, then we will not urge people to call on him. We will urge people to call on everything else. We won't proclaim if we don't believe that the one that we are proclaiming is better than everything else in this world. We just won't do it. And then he goes on to say, well, what about this? How are they gonna believe if they don't actually hear? How can they believe if we're not talking about and sharing and proclaiming who Jesus is? Think about this, that what what we talk about matters, and what we talk about the most matters most to us. So what we talk about matters, and what we talk about the most matters most to us. And so Paul is saying, hey, how are they going to call him if they don't believe? And then he goes on to say, and how are they to believe in him if... They have never heard. And the problem is, is if Christians aren't actually talking about Jesus Christ, but we're talking about everything else that we're more passionate about than Jesus Christ, then of course people aren't hearing about him. So what are those things that people hear us talk about? What are you most passionate about? What comes out of your mouth the most? What we are most passionate about, we most naturally talk about. And maybe we don't call and maybe people aren't calling out because we only talk about ESPN, highlight reels going to give a list and try to equally offend everyone, okay? We talk about CrossFit. We talk about body images. We talk about Netflix. We talk about hunting. I said I'll throw myself in. Talk about our careers. We talk about Target. Talk about manicures. Talk about The Bachelor and Bachelorette. The list goes on and on and on and on about the things that we talk about. We talk about Marie Kondo. She has made her way into our home, into many of our homes. (laughs) But you know what's crazy? Is that we are passionate. I won't say we, people are passionate about Marie Kondo. And if you don't know who she is, she has a Netflix series. You can watch it and forever change your life. So uh, she will organize your home for you and you will fold your clothes different than you folded them for 40 or 50 years. And she comes in and, 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 and advocates for a way of doing things. You know what? We hear people talk about her constantly. Why? Because we're passionate about her and we're passionate about what she does. You know what we could do? We could actually ask our kids what we're most passionate about, where our zeal lies. We could ask our friends what we talk about the most, because what we talk about the most is what we really actually do treasure the most. And so, of course, people aren't hearing if the things that we're most passionate about are everything else other than Christ. Listen to this. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad things. I'm just saying that at the end of the day, if the ultimate thing that we talk about the most is everything other than Christ, then of course, people are not hearing about who Jesus Christ is. I don't think Christians lack zeal, I just think oftentimes, myself included, we have a misplaced zeal. Do You know what's interesting about that to me? Is this, is that, do you know that everyone that encountered Jesus Christ in the Bible, like had an encounter with Jesus Christ, did not walk away from that the same. That the people that walked away from Jesus Christ, what did he tell them? Oftentimes, don't go tell anyone about this. Why, because he didn't wanna stir up people to worship him for being a Roman king or someone who's going to come in and be a king to take over the Roman government. Let me phrase it that way. It's accurate. Because the way his kingship was going to look was drastically different than what people wanted. But do you know what would happen is he would tell people, he would say, whatever you do, don't go tell people. What would they do? Go tell people. They could not stop talking about Jesus Christ. When, when, when men, when women, when, when people encountered him, the natural outworking of that is they had to tell someone about it. Blind Bartimaeus, when you go from blind to to seeing, you tell people about it. You are blown away by that. I think, again, our problem is, is that what we understand Christianity to be is that God sent his son to save pretty decent people or fairly awesome people just make them a little bit more awesome. And so in that, Jesus becomes a comfort. The problem is, is we get to songs written by guys like John Newton, Amazing Grace, Listen to John Newton's theology. Amazing grace, how great the sound that saved a wretch like me, not a decent man. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. He had an encounter with the grace of Jesus Christ. He knew and understand how far he had fallen from measuring up to God and what Christ had provided for him. Man once walked with God in the garden. And ever since then, man has attempted to do everything we can to get back to the garden. But the reality of Christianity is this, is that I can pull one verse or one or two verses to say this is about evangelism. But the reality is, is that the whole redemptive narrative tells a story of evangelism. It's man falling away from God and, and, and sin creating a barrier that we cannot get past. And it's God's greatest mission trip. It is the greatest mission trip of all time. It is God sending his son to rescue humanity. That's the story and the message of the Bible. It tells an evangelistic story. So again, what do people hear us talking about? What are we most passionate about? We naturally talk about that. And here's what I'll say, if you're here and you're non-Christian and you've been invited here by a Christian, here's the really good news, is the reason that your Christian friend is telling you about Jesus a lot is because they love you and they think Jesus is the best thing ever. And so for Christians, if, if, or for anyone, if you have something that you think is really good and Christians believe that, that we have the cure to a cancer called sin that we cannot cure uh, in and of ourselves, and so if we share that with you, it's because we want to give you the thing that we are most passionate about. Let's keep reading. The last part of verse 14. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The word for preaching here actually means a herald. And a herald was a living newspaper back then. They're the people that stood out on the street corners uh, declaring the news that was going on in their culture. And so it could read like this, and how are they to hear without someone proclaiming, heralding, sharing the good news? And so Paul's, again, he says, who are they... How are they to call if they don't believe? And how are they to believe if they don't hear us talking about the good news of Jesus Christ? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming? Notice what Paul does not say. He does not say this. He does not say, and how are they to hear unless they are shown? That's really, really, really important. Paul does not say, notice and pay attention and watch and live a good life and set a good moral example, he does not say any of that. He says, how are they to hear without someone preaching? Not showing, but heralding, proclaiming. Why? Because if you say that Christianity is best shown by our lifestyles and how we live, then that's gonna be really confusing for people. Really confusing for people, here's why. Because we're not that stellar, for one, but two, Christianity has then become what every other religion in the world is. And at that point, Christianity becomes moralism. And here is what I mean. If we believe that, that, that what the call for us to do is just to show people good works, then how are we any different from, and I'm not picking on religions, but pointing to truth, which is important. How are we different from Mormons? How are we different from Jehovah's Witness? How are we different from Buddhists, from Hindus? How are we different? Because the the, the fundamental different thing about Christianity is what we say is that it's not about you getting to God, it's about God coming to us and us placing our faith in him. But as soon as we say that what we are going to do is show people good works, then here's where they will will get confused. They will say, well, I know so-and-so and and they are a Mormon and they are a lot nicer than you. (laughs) Or I know so-and-so and and they are a Buddhist and they are much nicer than you. And then to that I would say yes. Maybe they are, but the message of Christianity is not me being nice. It's not me being nice. The message of Christianity is placing your faith in Jesus Christ. It is not God saving nice people. And and, and here's what happens. If I put my thoughts in, in that I am going to save people by my own actions, I can't help but be prideful or boastful but the message of Christianity is a grace narrative. There's no room for boasting. If God saves you based upon nothing that you do, but only his grace, you can't brag, you can't boast. You can't position yourself up higher than anyone else. You have to humbly say it's God and his grace. And so Paul is not saying here, show them. He is saying, tell them, proclaim to them. Let me ask this question. If that's the case and we're called to preach, let me ask this and just let it sit for a minute. If we're called to preach to herald, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and what he has done and we believe that we hold the cure by God's grace to the greatest relationship that we ultimately need through Jesus Christ to God the Father then why don't we share let me ask that again if we actually believe that Jesus Christ is the only one who can reconcile us to God and that in that our souls will have com- complete satisfaction and worth and value, not in what we do, but it is in being a child of God, then why don't we share it? Why don't I share it? For me, it's rejection. For others, it might be that you evaluate how well you do at it, and it gets exhausting. For others, it's you've done it out of guilt. But I think for many of us, it probably is coming from a selfish Motivation that at the end of the day, we love our comfort more than we love to be uncomfortable. That we love to be comfortable more, even though we don't want to say this, we love to be comfortable more than we want to risk sharing the truth with others and loving them more. Is we would rather make sure that we are safe in that. So here's where we're at Paul says this How are they going to call on him unless they believe? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard, and how are they to hear without someone proclaiming, preaching, heralding? And I would say this, that evangelism is never, faithful evangelism is is never demanding of an immediate response. I said that at the beginning. But faithful evangelism starts with the everyday of our lives. Let me explain that. That what we should be doing every day in our lives is evangelizing ourselves. That what we should do from the time we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night is we should be preaching the gospel to ourselves. That what we actually share with others is just an outflow of what we've already been preaching and sharing with ourselves on a daily basis. That what we do is we proclaim to ourselves that though I have not measured up, Christ has. Though I deserve to be on the cross, Christ took my place. Though I deserve the responsibility and consequences of my own sin, Christ took that for me. Though I am not Perfect in and of myself, Christ has made me perfect before God. Though I am fallen and broken, Christ has made me full, flawless and guiltless. We preach that to ourselves every day so that when we share with others, it's not like this brand new thing we've never shared. It's just actually the same message we keep telling ourselves and preaching to ourselves every single day. Verse 15 How are they to, to preach unless they are sent? So finally, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The church's job, be very clear, and the elders of the church, their, their job, our job is to equip the saints to be a sent people. That's our job sent everywhere. The reality is, is that the church needs people. They need missionaries to go all over the world, to go to the Jews, to go to the Muslims, to go to South America. We need people sent all over the world, but we also need the Christians sitting inside of this room, inside of Eugene, Oregon, to see themselves as a sent people to our neighbors and to the places that we work. Big picture sent, faithful daily sent are the people that we are supposed to be. Our problem again is this, is that we tend to see our call to safety over a call of being sent. The gospel is not stay, it is go. The gospel is not be safe, it is sent. And we are, we, we, we are called to be a people that is sent. So let me ask this, is your mission for yourself or for your family, is it a sent mission or is it a safe mission? Because we're not called to go and take the light into light, we're called to take the light into darkness. Which means that we are sent beyond our homes and the safety that they provide. We are a people that are called to be sent. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? It's my job to commission the Christians to know that evangelism doesn't take place only in the pulpit on Sunday mornings. Evangelism is supposed to take place by all of us being equipped with the same message that I am preaching and delivering in your guys' lives to the people that I never have contact with but you guys do. Last, he says this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Back then, what feet would have represented is this is feet were carriers, and they were carriers of a message. And so what would happen is whenever a country, and we've talked about this before, would go off to war, messengers would come back. And, and the town would wait in an angst to hear from their delivery or from their report. And what they are waiting to hear is a message of good news, good news, good news. Paul's actually quoting Isaiah here. I believe we have a slide for it. And here's what Isaiah says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so here's what's being said, is they would have known and understand that, that someone that brings this message, that is good news for people. When people come in and say, we've won the war, that is a messenger who's carrying good news. But ultimately, what this is about is it's about what Jesus' feet did. Jesus came and brought the message. He came in saying, repent and have faith. But it's ultimately Jesus' feet that walked up a hill. It's ultimately Jesus' feet that were pierced. And his feet lost their ability to, to, to do exactly what feet do, is walk. Why? So that our feet gain the ability to walk into the presence of God. So that we again could walk with God like man did in the Garden of Eden. So what Christ lost became our gain through his life and through his death and resurrection. His heel, as the author of Genesis says, was bruised, but Christ won, conquering and reigning over sin, over Satan and over death. There is nothing, listen, child of God, there's nothing that Christ is not reigning over, period, including all the sin that's in our lives. Let me read this. Sinner, sinner, I may be, but Christ my King died for me. Sinner, sinner, I may be, but a sinner before God I shall never be. Sinner, sinner, I may be, but my sin will never define me. But I shall rest in only my king and his victory. How beautiful is the good news that all of our failures and faults and shortcomings were consumed by Christ's victory and his life and his death and his resurrection. We stand before God a holy people how does that change things for evangelism? Here's why. It changes the complete motivation of how we do it. Again, trying to be truthful, but also respectful, is that in Mormonism and in being Jehovah's Witness, what you are required to do is go door to door. And the reason why you go door to door is because if you go door to door, then that is how you are working toward God's approval, God's acceptance. Not doing that leads to the opposite. For Christianity, we would say that your evangelism and your methods, your practice of it, does not lead to your salvation, nor does it keep you in good standing with God. Only Christ does that. So it changes the motivation of why we do it. We are not required to go and evangelize and tell people the good news for God to love us. We tell the good news that God loves us because of what Christ has done. And because in Christ, we cannot lose the salvation he has provided. And so it changes our motivation from trying to get something from God or earn or keep something from God to where we're actually free to say, this is the best news ever. In fact, I'm not required to tell it to you. I get to tell it to you out of love because no matter what, God is going to love me. And it changes the way of why, our motivation for why we share it. The other thing is we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some of the most effective evangelists I know, I don't know how else to say this, are some of the most nerdiest, corkiest people I know. Why? Because they're not trusting in their coolness and their methods, and, and they're just being suave or anything like that, you know what they're trusting in is this. It's that at the end of the day, I have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of me, and I have the message, and I'm going to share that. And it's up to God to save people, to transform their lives. It's just, it, listen, Christian, it's only on me to present it. I'm not a closer. I share, I deliver it. I present to you the thing I'm most passionate about, the good news. God does it from there. Some of the most effective people I know are people like that. Why? Because they're not looking in and of themselves and all their giftings and talents and everything like that. They're saying, man, I'm just not a natural leader or, 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 or people don't naturally look to me. They're just saying, I need God's faithfulness. I think that we should say the same thing. Let me wrap up here. Three things. Make a habit of proclaiming to yourself every day. Pray that you would see yourself as a sent person, not a safe person. And lastly, I would encourage you guys, just like I did with the prayer challenge last week, but this is something different. A couple times a month, invite people into your home and go into theirs. People that don't look like you, people that don't believe like you, people that don't even think like you, I would encourage you to invite them into your home and go into theirs. This is not evangelism, this is relationship building. But I would say this, that through building relationships, it gives us the opportunity to share Christ. At the end of the day, I'm not building relationships with people so that I can share Christ with them and then walk away. We build relationships with people because we love people and because ultimately God has loved us and welcomed us into his family. Amen?